0: Hi, my name is Marilyn Muscombe. Over my career, I have had the honor of serving as president of the New Brunswick Community College, as well as the president of Selkirk College in British Columbia. I have also had the privilege of chairing the board of our National Association. In this special edition podcast, we will look back at the history of Colleges and Institutes Canada and hear from people who witnessed its early days and helped it grow into the National Association we know today.
1: You know, if one of us had the misfortune here of having an accident on the way to this meeting this morning, the very first people that would be on the scene would be policemen or policewomen. They're graduates of colleges. The next people that would arrive would be paramedics. They are graduates of colleges. Then they rush you to the hospital, and the first people that would see you as you come in are nurses. They are graduates of colleges. Then at some point, yes, a doctor, the university guy or person would show up and diagnose you. And then immediately they pass you back to the nurses, to the x-ray technicians, et cetera, et cetera. So you, know, you develop the argument that you know for every one university grad, there's five, six, seven college grads
0: Canada's colleges and institutes have been serving their communities for decades, delivering training to millions of Canadians over the years. Their impact can truly be felt across the country. In fact, with more than 95% of Canadians living within 50 kilometers of a college or institute location, they constitute the largest network of post-secondary institutions in the country. And representing them at the national and international level is Colleges and Institutes Canada, or CICAN, which has been serving its members since its genesis in 1972. As we celebrate our 50th anniversary, we have gone back to speak with some of the people who helped shape our organization and witnessed firsthand the growth of Canada's college system. Terry Ann Boyles, one of our former vice presidents and one of the earliest staff members at what was then called the Association of Canadian Community Colleges, or ACCC, remembers that time.
2: It really was looking at how do you really build the skill capacity across the country for Canada to move forward. In the late 60s, there was agreements with the federal government and the provinces in terms of what evolved into the creation of what are called community colleges. For some cases, that era of the colleges in the country. And so those evolved um, differently in each province, but did come out of the the joint discussions with the federal government and
0: joint funding uh, with the federal government. Canada rapidly modernized after the Second World War. It was the beginning of the baby boom, and there was an exodus of Canadians from the cities to the suburbs. In general, the post-war period was a time of prosperity. Industries experienced explosive growth, and as a result, Canada faced serious demands for skilled labourers. It was out of this need that the community college system was born in the 1950s and grew dramatically throughout the 60s and 70s. By the mid-1960s, college leaders realised that a national organisation was needed for community colleges. There were significant differences within each provincial system of colleges, from the SAGEP system in Quebec to university transfer programs in British Columbia. But college leaders decided that there was enough common ground to make a national organization worthwhile. That didn't mean it would be an easy task. Robert Gordon, former board chair of CICAN, who served as president of Dawson College as well as Humber College, was there in October 1972, when the association was officially formed during an exceptional meeting bringing together college representatives from across the country.
3: In those days, it was extremely difficult in that political environment to set up a political organization, an educational organization, that uh, could escape the realities of the political world that we lived in. You have to look at it in in the socioeconomic political context which in 1970, let's use that as the benchmark, was absolutely dynamic in Canada, uh, particularly in Quebec. So Dawson was founded as the first English CGEP. And the French CGEPs were a little bit ahead because most of them came out of Collège Classique, which uh, then they tacked on a few technology programs and called themselves CGEPs, was, uh, as the government had uh, decreed.
0: Building a national and bilingual organization in that context was no small feat. Let's not forget that the October crisis happened only two years before CICAN was formed. Yet both Francophone and Anglophone college leaders recognized the benefits of a national organization and felt that it would require the participation of every province. Jerry Brown, former Director General of John Abbott College in Montreal, who would later become President and CEO of CICAN, also remembers
1: those early days. Quebec represented not only uh, another province, but also another language. And so the challenge that the organization was facing was how do you make sure that you are national, a Canadian national organization, and at the same time, uh, you know, service that community as such.
0: Another challenge was simply that colleges were newcomers to the post-secondary arena. Universities were fully established in Canada, and they had well-established reputations and funding. Colleges had to demonstrate who they were, what they could offer, and how they were unique.
1: One of the first things I ran into is uh, when I began the national agenda, is that nobody knew who we were. People knew of us, but they didn't know who we were. And, and that made a lot of sense because a lot of the important decision makers at the national level, I'm thinking of inside the bureaucracies at uh, the federal level and politicians, most of us, including you and I, are all products of the university system. They had the platform. It was all theirs. They had the platform at the federal level to people who all graduated from university and understood them and loved them. And all time, I went to that university, I went to that university. None of the decision makers in, in the federal level went to this univers- college or that college. They all right. went to universities. And they didn't know what college. So a huge part of is saying, hey, here's who we are. Here's what we're trying to do. The colleges at that time were really focusing a lot on issues well basically all surrounding workforce development, adult education, but primarily workforce development, you know, making sure that the programs that we were developing were responding to the needs of the community to serve. And the community, when I define a community, is just not necessarily the individuals, but also the industry and the economics of, the, of that particular region. So if you're in Sudbury, you know, you're focusing on the mining industry and the forestry industry. You know, if you're on the coast, you're obviously focusing not just on what's important in Victoria or in St. John's, Newfoundland, but also the fishery industry.
0: Though the role of colleges was quickly coming into focus, many still questioned the need for national representation. Since education is provincially mandated in Canada, there were questions about the utility of a countrywide organization when colleges operated in 10 distinct educational jurisdictions.
1: There was always that argument sitting around saying, well, you know, uh, colleges are a provincial domain, education is a provincial domain, there's not much you can do federally. But the fact is that there's so much going on at the national level that impacts on what's going on locally. So for me, it was always, how do you position the association to advocate on behalf of the colleges that have local needs at a national and international level?
0: Despite these obstacles, a nationwide survey of college leaders conducted in 1970 had indicated that 91% of respondents were in favor of establishing a national association. So the Commission for the Community College in Canada hosted an assembly in November 1970 and college representatives voted in favor of a national organization. Robert Gordon remembers the earliest purpose of CICAN.
3: Before the, the, there was kind of like, let's lobby the federal government for policy changes and research. It was more like a national association is valuable to keep an ear on what's going on, but basically it's more like to run activities and for mutual benefit, like the national conferences.
0: Former chair of the board, Robert Gordon, recalls everyone working hard to make sure that the new organization would truly reflect the interests of both English and French Canadians.
3: In about 1970, if I recall, there was a uh, big meeting in Ottawa, the Chateau Laurier, I think, and it was very heavily dominated by French participation who had come up in droves uh, thinking that they would be really a part of this. And they were. They were. There's no question. Uh, I can still remember the you know people lined up to speak at the microphones to the people on the stage, whoever they were. And, uh, you know, they were largely francophones who were making sure that they were full
0: partners. The energy at that meeting was electric
3: that was dynamic there must have been at least 500 to 1000 i can't it was one of those major ballrooms that was very very full no shortage of people wanted to step up to the microphone and there was a good spirit though where everyone realized they've got to give a bit
0: and with that the association of canadian community colleges as cican used to be called became a living breathing organization but the new organization now faced a different set of challenges while Can is now a trusted partner for the Canadian government and a steward of extensive federal funding, the small organization in the 1970s still had to prove itself. In fact, its first batch of operating funding came not from a Canadian funder, but from an American partner, the Kellogg Foundation.
3: Kellogg had been one of the few foundations in the States that had stepped up to um, fund leadership programs at several major universities to try and create uh, a stronger cadre of of people who could run these colleges. And so the question then became, uh, why not Canada?
0: CI Can received three years of funding from the Kellogg Foundation with the goal of becoming self-sustaining at the end of the grant term.
3: The Kellogg Foundation was very helpful to us because by working with the colleges, when most foundations wouldn't even look at us, it gave us, you know, because then you go to the next one and say, well, you know, we got this big grant from Kellogg. We can't be that bad.
0: As CICAN began to establish itself and pursue its mandate as an information hub for colleges, promoting and supporting college level research and acting as a liaison, CICAN relied on its member colleges to help it through its early years.
3: But in those days, you know, you, you, we'd end up visiting individual presidents, you know, begging them to, to stay in. And uh, even though I know we're not delivering what you want, but, the, you know, you got to hang in because of the good of the movement. It's a national movement in this yeah. kind of stuff. It's sort of an evangelical zeal. What we had, luckily, was a half a dozen very devoted presidents who realized this was bigger than anything, than they were. So we were sort of praying we could get it stabilized, which turned out we did.
0: Their financial vote of faith in the new organization kept it going through those first years.
3: But, as I say, we got the thing going, and it never collapsed, although it come close to it a couple of times. Now it's not only a going force, but quite frankly, the government listens seriously to it now. You know, it's, it's grown up.
0: CICAN had set up shop in Toronto in 1973, and operations quickly got underway ci annual conferences were immediately popular, with almost 1,000 delegates attending in 1975. By 1976, ci was represented in study trips to and conferences in countries like Israel, Ghana, Kenya, Tanzania, the U.S., and the U.K. But it was in 1978 that the organization reached a significant milestone receiving its first funding from the federal government?
2: Well, that was the pre
0: kind of phase.
2: And in the pre-phase, there was also the Secretary of State Canada Department existed and provided uh, ACCC with a, 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 like a core grant to be able to work on some things of, of import to building Canada and the interconnections, you know, with Canada and even at that Point, just before I, you know, joined, they were supporting things like um, French students coming you know, from Quebec or New Brunswick to other colleges mm. for you know summer immersion programs. So it was all around almost like nation building and working together to strengthen you know, the actual capacity in the system and learn from each other.
0: CICAN also received funding from the Canadian International Development Agency, CEDA which provided a first extensive funding package to the association's international department. With this financial support, CICAN began working with members that were interested, committed, and able to participate in international exchange and technical assistance programs at home and abroad. With the federal government investing in our programs, further advocating for our members' priorities became top priority
2: but ACCC and the board of ACCC, um, which had evolved out of the Canadian Adult Education Association, um, CAAE, have been doing the real advocacy work of the hosting of the first conference about really talking uh, with governments across the country, especially the federal government, of the, the value of a of the um, college type you know, of education in, for the country. So lots of awareness raising, You know, know, meetings, you know, advocacy and participation in that as a whole with what were then, you know, very friendly uh, federal and provincial uh, governments and dollars, you know, available to really invest in the skills development in the public country as a whole.
0: As our advocacy efforts intensified throughout the 1980s, we cultivated promising partnerships and new funding opportunities. There was only one problem.
2: We're positioning for a scholarship, our science and tech uh, task force. We've been advocating for applied research. Out of that, the, the industry kind of said, we can't give you applied research right now, but would you like it to do a scholarships and in technology initiative? If, and then the if was, but that, that was such a big new endeavor for them that they said they wouldn't give it to a non-Ottawa
0: based organization. To continue growing, the National Organization for Colleges and Institutes had to consider a big change and relocate to the National Capital Region. Terry Ann Boyles recalls how that decision was made.
2: The recommendation came out of the Canadian Program Advisory Committee, which was the advisory committee um, that I worked most closely with. And that committee um, kept looking at, you know, what we were doing, et cetera, and Lo and behold, in one of my meetings with them, they recommended that we move to Ottawa. And that that recommendation was to the board. This took place over several meetings. The the board did really good due process. Every single staff person got a layoff letter, a termination letter, Mm -hmm. and then a reoffer letter.
0: It took us 18 months to slowly relocate all of our operations to Ottawa. But by doing so, we were able to leverage our proximity to federal decision-makers and thus better advocate on behalf of our members.
3: I think it's finally dawned on society that the college is extremely important, not only to uh, educate first-generation, primarily Canadians, the first higher education in the family, but also that their businesses needed the kinds of skilled workforce, which is, of course, exactly what CI can pounds
0: on a daily basis. CICAN weathered some significant challenges in its early days. College leaders from across the country and from different backgrounds came together because they could see how a national organization would benefit them. And we had our work cut out for us. Every province did things differently. People didn't really understand what colleges did. We struggled financially in the very beginning. Yet our organization steadily grew in size and our influence slowly increased. We consistently pursued opportunities to demonstrate the unique role that colleges and institutes play in Canadian society. We listened and responded to the needs and priorities of our members. Fifty years later, we are still going strong and growing in fact. We now represent over 140 publicly funded colleges, institutes, polytechniques, and SAGEPS, and offer a wide variety of programs in Canada and around the world, all while providing a strong voice for our members on the national stage. As we look to the next 50 years, we do so with optimism, knowing that our organization was built on solid foundations to serve our members, and by association, the communities in which they operate all over Canada.